the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. We appreciate each and every one of you that have tuned in for our podcast, and I'm here with the illustrious Benjamin Kerfman, the distinguished Adam Black, the young whippersnapper Derek McCarson, and here the old grayhead Dennis Thurman. But we're thrilled to be able to talk to you tonight about a subject that we'd like to really avoid, but one that is inescapable as we live in this world. Uh, We live in a fallen world, a world that is broken, and that means brokenness comes to us as well. And uh, to kind of set the stage for us, I want to share a, a verse of Scripture that should really grip our hearts because it talks about our dear Lord Jesus in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. And I especially want to focus on that capacity of sympathizing with our weaknesses. Think about the pain that Jesus went through. Think about all the hurt that he suffered climactically on the cross, but but throughout his ministry, uh, uh, he was wounded. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Uh, those poignant words that we find in Scripture, Jesus wept. We all know it's the shortest verse of the Bible. When we're kids in, in Sunday school and we want to win a prize and you have to quote a verse, that's the one we always run to because it's so easy to remember. But yet it is really profound the more you think about it, that here you have the Son of God and he's grieving, uh, grieving with others who are mourning the death of a, a loved one. And so Jesus has entered into all of that, and yet uh, the greatest success story that's ever been written uh, where the, the paradox is that, that he humbled himself, uh, took upon himself the form of a servant, was uh, willing to become obedient to death, even the death of the cross, but wherefore God's highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name. So, so God has a way of taking those things that, that are the, the bleakest, the darkest, the most painful, and using those in, in ministry to make an impact. So we want to talk tonight about a, a practical subject that that really uh, came home to me uh, a few days ago uh, when I was sitting right here in our church office and I uh, started having a pain in my shoulder and I thought, uh, you know, that's, that's uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> maybe I've been sitting the wrong way and been using the keyboard too much or whatever. So, uh, but it became more intense and uh, began to really radiate all the way down through, just like somebody was sticking a knife right above my clavicle, right down into my chest. And so finally, I, I told our uh, administrative assistant, I'm, I'm going home, and I used the excuse that I've got a meeting in a little while, which was true, I did. But, uh, but I walked out of here and went home, took a couple of Advil, laid down very fitfully, finally uh, went to sleep. When I woke up from my my nap, the pain was gone, and I was grateful. So I went out and had my supper meeting. Then when I came home that night, 
my chest began to hurt. Well, I didn't want to tell my wife. I didn't want anybody to know. I thought maybe it'll go away. I'll take some more medication. And not only did it not go away, but it intensified until finally it became excruciating, so much so that I, I was not able to rest. I was not able to get comfortable. I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, my wife comes up to go to bed. So what did I do? I get up from bed and go downstairs because I didn't want her to see that I was in misery because I knew what she would do. She would insist on calling 911. And so that would wake up the whole neighborhood, and the dog would bark, and I just said, yeah, we can't have that. So I'll just die. Yeah. Millennials yeah. don't have those thoughts. Yeah. Put yeah. some dirt on it and walk it off. Yeah, that's, exactly, dirt on it. that's exactly right. So, so I did try to walk it off, but it wasn't getting any better. And, you know, believe it or not, she's a very astute woman. She figured out something was kind of suspicious, the fact that I was in bed till she came to bed, and then I got up and left. So she won't know what in the world was going on. So I, so I told her. And uh, you know what she wanted to do? She wanted to call an ambulance. And I said, no, you just take me. Take me to the ER. I, mean, I think I'm having a heart attack. And, uh, and by that time, I was convinced that I was. And then on the way, I was really aggravated that I did not call let her call an ambulance because I thought, I'm going to die right here in this passenger seat. She's going to be hauling the dead preacher into the hospital. She's going to go nuts. She's going to panic. She's going to run off the road and kill herself. And then we'll be reuniting glory. But I, I didn't, you know. <laughs> to live as Christ dies gain. I mean, I, it, it is true. But but now here, here's the here's the truth. I, I can tell you this, that I, I did not like the pain, and I wasn't eager to leave my family, but there was an absolute peace in my heart. If it was my time to go, I was ready. I, I was not uh, reluctant at all. If I died that night, it was, it was, it was going to be fine. But obviously that wasn't God's plan. But as it turned out, you know, it was a, a pericarditis. It was an inflammation from a virus around the, the little sac that's around your heart. Heart was fine. Uh, it was just that that was causing the pain. So a couple of days they prescribed rest, and I, I got a little bit. So uh, so I, I'm, I'm feeling better. But But times like that, and I've had a couple of other occasions where I really had to look death in the face and think about my own mortality and, and think about eternity in a, in a very, very serious way. And, and what I found is that I used to go to hospitals and visit people and would try to sympathize with them, try to think what it would be like. But once I wound up in a hospital bed and once I had surgery, I had a whole new way of looking at it. Uh, I used to try to uh, sympathize with folks who had lost the death of a loved one. I had conducted funerals of people whose children had died and, and tried to mourn and grieve with them. But never did I know what they were going through until our seven-year-old granddaughter died of cancer, and I had to conduct her funeral. It gives you a whole new perspective. Now, now, am I glad those things happened? No. But do I see how God used those things, the old Romans eight twenty eight principle that God works all things together for good? Absolutely. So what I'd like for us to do, and I'd like for you all to share some stories of how God uses pain for his purposes, how he's worked in your life in maybe a time of weakness or depression or struggle or what you felt like was failure, discouragement, and, and how God takes us as, as wounded healers and gives us that capacity then to minister to the bruised and the battered that are, are out there. So I've, I've been dominating the conversation. So some of y'all tell some of those stories of, of an experience that you've had and how you've seen profit in the, in the hard times, the dark times of life. Who wants to share first? Ben, how about, how about telling some? And maybe it's even a current struggle you're going through. I've got plenty. Um, probably 
along similar lines. So I guess two years ago, I guess it was, um, one of my daughters, uh, she was, I think she had just turned four around that time. Um, we were getting ready to go on a trip to see some family in Ohio, and we had noticed that she had uh, a lot of bruises, just small bruises all over her torso and her legs. And so, you know, of course, it's summertime and kids are running around outside and climbing trees and doing whatever. So a bruise here or there wasn't that unusual, but it was enough to where my wife was like, "This something doesn't look right, and let's just take her to the doctor real quick and get it checked before – uh, you know, before we go on our trip. And so, uh, we stopped in the pediatrician. He took a look at it and said, okay, we're going to, uh, run some blood work real quick and just see if there's anything unusual. And, uh, when he got the results back, he said, you know, I don't want to alarm you. I think I know what's going on, but, um, you're going to have to talk to a specialist and the specialist is a um, pediatric oncologist, which is a cancer doctor at the Mission Cancer Center, and I'm calling them now, and you need to go over there right now and uh, talk with this doctor at, before you go on your trip. And so the the level of urgency, the fact that they're sending us to a cancer center, um, really alarmed us. Sure. Um, and so in the process, she ended up being diagnosed with a condition that I can't pronounce, but it's called ITP. <laughs> Idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. Um, yes. Okay. Because um, I have that. Oh, do you? Oh, yes. Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so uh, so she was diagnosed with ITP, um, which in children her age, um, thankfully about 90% of them recover from that and don't go through it again. Um, and as far as we can tell, she's in that 90%. Praise the Lord. But um, that was a very scary time for us um, because the <clears> conversation <throat> was – in a nutshell, uh, to give context, basically, uh, your blood platelets clot your blood so that when you get a cut, it stops bleeding or, you know, you get in a car wreck or something like that. You don't just bleed to death internally. Um, when your platelets get too low, your blood can't clot properly and you can bleed to death. Um, so uh, like the lower range of platelets should be around 150,000. When we brought her to the doctor, she was at 7,000. And so they explained to us that basically if you were to get in a car accident right now, there's a good chance that if she had any kind of internal bleeding, she would just die before you got to the hospital, Hmm. which was really reassuring considering we were getting ready to go on a 10 hour car ride. Hmm. Um, And they said, basically this is a, it's an autoimmune disorder and um, there's not really anything we can do about it. Her body just has to, Re- basically reprogramming itself and it could take anywhere from two weeks to the rest of her life. And we don't really know what to tell you other than, you know, basically you just need to keep her from jumping off of things and, you know, <laughs> bubble- Do- doing things that kids. Yeah. Do. Basically just bubble wrapper. And I'm thinking this is a, uh, basically a toddler. I mean, that's all they do all day is try to kill themselves. And so, um, so that, that was, that was just horrifying. Well, well the, how did that number one? How did that challenge your faith? And and number two, what what lessons did you draw from that? How did God use that time in your life? He definitely used it. Um, for one, just the the shock of realizing how insulated you are because you think you know that stuff couldn't happen to me. You know what I mean? Like or or. I'm okay if I was the one that got the condition, but what about this child 
this child that she didn't do anything. There's no logical reason why this should happen other than the fact that sin is just in the world, you know, and not only that, but then the the takeaways that I had for that one is, is uh, when people endure suffering, um, they either uh, lean into Christ or run away from him. That's, that's one of the two responses. And that's one of the ways that you can tell whether you're in Christ is when you don't even want to be in Christ and yet you feel compelled uh, to, to lean on the everlasting arms because you just there's nowhere else for you to go. Just like uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus said to the disciples, are you going to leave also? When he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, oh, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And that was kind of where I was at. It, is It was like, uh, okay, I want to be mad and, and I want to uh, figure out some way around this problem, but I can't do that because at the end of the day, this child belongs to God. He made her. And uh, it doesn't matter what I think, and it doesn't matter what I can do. And the other thing is, is it really increased my faith because I I had to, um, you know, you can say you believe in God's sovereignty, but it's a lot easier <laughs> to believe it when you don't have any power at all in a situation. And this was a situation of literally like, I don't know if I'm going to get in a car wreck. I mean, I, I watched her for days of... You just you need to sit in this playpen and I'll give you some toys, but you can't play with the other kids and you can't go outside and you can't do these kind of things and tried to control it. And then realizing, you know, sitting in the shower, crying out to God, realizing there's nothing I can do. She could she could slip and fall down the stairs or do anything and just die immediately. And there's literally nothing that I can do. And and having to tell God, God. Uh, her life is in your hands and you've appointed her days and there's not one thing that I can do that is going to change that appointed day that that you have laid that out from the foundation of the world and having to submit myself to that and say, God, if this is it, if, if, if I do everything in my power and she still dies, it's not because of me. It's because of you and having to trust that somehow in the mystery of God's will, that I know that he is good and I know that he is loving. I know that he's full of mercy in spite of what seems to me like an, like an evil thing. Mm. And by God's grace, she did get better slowly. Thank the Lord. And, and is doing well. Um, but that was a real hard lesson mm. mm-hmm. uh, that my wife and I had to learn of, 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 you know, the other thing is, is it made me realize that, that in some ways my children were an idol you know, of, well, my child's life means more than God's will. Hmm. And this forced me to make a decision of, you know what, uh, at the end of the day, God's will is all that, all that matters. Yes, it's a difficult place to, to come to. But, but think about now, how old was your, your daughter at the time? She was three or four. Okay, so, so you got a three or four-year-old that wants to be active, that wants to play. And she doesn't understand what's She going does on. not understand. You know so much more than she knows. Now think about it uh, and carry that through. Here you are in this circumstance as a, a frail human being, and you have a God of infinite knowledge that mm-hmm. knows so much more. That'll she preach. couldn't understand mm-hmm. no matter what you said. She was not going to understand. Right. And no matter what God might say in giving us answers, we're not going to understand. But what right. you did is you gave comfort to her. She understood when you held her. And loved on her. And I think at the times when answers aren't enough, there's Jesus. There's his love that embraces mm-hmm. us because we wouldn't be able to grasp all that anyway. Well, and I think it's perspective, like you said, too, in the sense that um, 
the amount of information that you have about something changes your perspective, and so you see it differently. Uh, so, for instance, if I were to come up and and to just cut someone and take something out of their body, um, that would not be received well by most people. Correct. Now, if I was a doctor and I was removing a tumor from you, I'm doing the exact same thing, but your perspective of what I'm doing is different because you have more information about the situation. And so a lot of times when things happen in the, in the context of time, which Scripture says is like a vapor, like a like a flower of the field. Our days are as a shadow. Yeah, and so uh, God does things that in the scope of eternity and from his perspective are for our good and uh, for the good of his mission and that are being done out of love and out of mercy and kindness in our perspective can look like hatred and even evil. Um because we could say, you know, look at the cross. If you look at the cross out of context, you'll end up like some theologians have and say, well, that's cosmic child abuse. Well, yeah, if you look at it out of context, if, if God the Father is just punishing his son on the cross, then sure, that's cosmic child abuse. But when you look at the perspective of what is the motivation for that? Uh, was Christ willing to go to the cross? Uh, what is God accomplishing in the purpose of history? And who gets to determine what is ultimately good and not? And the answer is God God does all those things. And so from God's perspective, the cross is an act of love and mercy and kindness, even though in, in the perspective of it, it looks evil uh, for a father to do that to their own child. Yeah. Yeah, perspective means everything. So I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Ben. Uh, Adam, tell me about a time in your life, a very dark time, a difficult time, maybe a painful time, uh, and, and how God used that to prepare you for what you're doing this day. Yeah, probably what is one of the greatest times of your life it become one of the darkest times of my life. And, um, you know, when uh, Tabitha and I got married, we wanted to have children. And um, so after a year or so, we decided to go for it. And we ended up, uh, she ended up being pregnant. And um, so we went, go to the first doctor's appointment and uh, the doctor I thought was jokingly telling me that there were two uh, babies in there, uh, but there were two. It was twins. She was expecting twins. And so uh, the moment of <laughs> horror and joy was all wrapped into one because at the time I was just at Fruitland and working part-time at Northern Tool. And I told Tabitha, I'm going to have to find another job. I'm going to have to go through all this. And so, uh, again, it was one of the you know greatest days of my life, but one of the scariest days of my life. And then Several months, uh, about a month or two down the road, I think two or three months, um, we were going for another sonogram, and my mom went with us uh, because she had never seen a sonogram, and so she went with us. And uh, the doctor, see, they they didn't have those, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. uh, You old people, no, um, love you, mom. Um, But uh, but no, the uh, so the the doctor started looking, and um, she said something's wrong, and so they. She started looking more, and and she just said, "I'm just going to tell you, one of them, something's wrong." And um, so uh, that feeling of you know, uh oh, you know, and then of course my mom being there didn't help anything. And uh, so uh, again, love you, mom. Um, <laughs> so they sent us to a specialist, and the specialist all but told us, um, uh, "You're not going to take one of them home." Uh, it's not developing correctly. And once you saw the sonogram and understood what you're looking at, you, you kind of saw that there was a heartbeat and, uh, but there, it wasn't forming correctly. And so, um, uh-huh. 
so anyway, so we knew um, that we weren't going to be able to take one of them home. And um, so you had this uh, excitement of being uh, a parent for the first time and then this this feeling of loss. And um, and so we got to about 28 weeks or so. And um, we well, it was about 26 weeks when we went to the doctor and the doctor said that there wasn't any there. The heartbeat was gone for the one right. twin. And uh, so that was an emotional, <laughs> emotional time because you, you always had hope, you know, something, you know, God do a miracle. And and so um, I was getting ready this a week or two later, I was getting ready to go to Fruitland and Tabitha come in there and said, I think my water's broke. Now she's at 28 and a half weeks, 29 weeks. Mm, and so, early. Um, so I, we rushed to the hospital. I threw her out in the ambulance. So that's our joke now. I uh, dropped her <laughs> off in the ambulance parking and uh, told her to go in that they'd let her in. Well, they didn't. Uh, I had already gone and parked. Um, so she had to walk around basically. Nice. Mission. Yeah. So that's uh, our running joke. And I said, well, I was an acting ambulance. So let's just be honest with it. And so anyway, so we got in there. They did the, the um, ultrasound. Basically, what had happened was the sack that the twin was in had had broke, but my the other one was she was fine. She was hanging out, and so the the plan was for her to stay in the hospital um, for as long as they could possibly keep her in there. And they were giving her steroids and, and things of that nature because of the the development of the baby, the lung, and all that type of stuff. And um, so 29 weeks, six days, we were back and forth labor and delivery trying to keep her from having the baby. And, and on Sunday morning, um, we, we were actually listening to uh, Biltmore Services, and Bruce Frank preached a message on going through trials. It was, was kind of wild. Mm. So we listened to it. And right after that, um, she basically delivered um, our firstborn, who wasn't alive, obviously. And so um, so then they said, well, we gotta we got to get the other one. And so – Went emergency C-section. My daughter was born at 29 weeks, six days, at two pounds, 12 ounces, and uh, she was could fit in my hand. And, wow. Uh, the feeling of, um, again, the feeling of just unbelievable joy and unbelievable mourning because here's a baby on one side, and then uh, they said, you can go pick up your other one down in the morgue. Um, my goodness. Was a was a, one of the darkest times. And the thing about it was is that you were talking about the control aspect Man, there was nothing I could do. There was absolutely no, and I I never felt so helpless in my life. Like I was, I was so anxious because I'm like I got to do something, got to do something. There was absolutely zero that I could do, and so I was as stressed out as I've ever been in my life. And uh, I remember walking down the hall. I'd been praying the whole time because I here I am going to Fruitland. I'm the Bible study. I'm going to be a pastor and got it all together. But I was, I mean, I was mad. God, what are you doing? Like, why is this happening? And um, so you were angry and you had questions. Oh, I was mad. I mean, I, God, why are you doing this? And um, it was crazy because I'd been um, studying personal devotions with James. And as I was walking down the hall, in the ca- I can take you to the exact spot to the cafeteria at Mission Hospital. It was like God put it on my mind in James 1, 2 through 4, where he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And for whatever reason, a peace that I've never felt in my life came over me. And I said, okay, God, you know, I, I'm going to trust you. You're perfecting my faith. I don't like this, <laughs> I'll be honest. And so um, my daughter, um, she spent 40 days in EQ, and not a couple of days after that, we 
I had to go bury my firstborn. And so that was a, uh, that was again, the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows and to dig a grave and, and to bury your firstborn is not, uh, I don't, I don't recommend it to anybody, but, um, you know, the thing about all that, and of course now my daughter's, um, seven and she's awesome and, um, doing wonderful. And, but the thing about that is, um, I think when I when I read James, and again, that verse always comes to my mind, and when people are going through things, I always point them to that because I'm like, this trial is perfecting your faith. But the, I think something that I, I learned soon after that is I'm like, God, what are you – I started asking, God, what are you teaching me? Like, what are you – there's something you're trying to mold in me. There's something that you're trying to um, trying to work. And I don't think in the moment there's no way I could have uh, right. realized that. But, like, looking back at it, I'm like, God, what were you trying to perfect? And I realized number one is that I, he is sovereign, he's in control, and I'm not. I'm not God. And no matter how much I wanted to control things, um, and the Lord is my shepherd. You know that verse always that played in my mind too. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a declaration of submission. And so um, I realized that God had taught me, you know, he, that He's in control. Two was that I wasn't very sympathetic. Uh, I wasn't sympathetic to people. I'm one of the most pro-life people you'll ever hear. But when I would hear people that have lost children, you know, uh, miscarriages and things of that nature, um, miscarriages and things of that nature, I just, it was almost like this kind of suck it up buttercup type thing. Mm -hmm. But man, now it's like I I go to them. Um, So I understand that, that aspect. So, so, so let me, let me, I don't want to interrupt you, but just to follow up on that. What what if somebody were to come up to you? I'm sure this didn't happen, uh, and and say, "Well, Adam, we're just so sorry that you lost this child, but but all, you have but you one. have a living baby. Just you know, how does that really help you? No, no, no. And none of those cliches. No, and we heard that a lot. Yeah, you know, yeah. well, you, you have one. Right. You, at least you have a healthy one. Right. That's true. Thank you, God. Yes. But the pain that I was feeling on the other yeah. side uh, was unbelievable, and so. Um, but the, the idea of sympathy and the one thing I will say about trials and going through um, that type of thing is that it gives you a ministry. It, it gives does. you a ministry opportunity. And I think you have to take advantage of that. So my wife and I both, when we hear of people that have, have lost, miscarried or, or anything like that, you know, we, we try to run to them, you know, and, and because we see that as a, God took us through that and, um, you know, we got through it. Um, but it definitely uh, gave us a, mission, a ministry opportunity. So I think that over a little bit of time, you can look back at it and you can see how you know he was still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Absolutely. And um, so I, th- I think that that's a that's a real big key to me is going through trials. And you know, I was a youth pastor at the time, and we were going through that. And and I think we may have mentioned this, but man, I I tried to be as real with people as possible. You know, I didn't try to put on some front that everything was good and you know um you know it, it was difficult but um brother is supposed to be your best life now come oh, on good heavenly days yeah if I you mean, just name it and claim it and blab it and grab ooh, it you boy yeah well, i stuff. think i think you have a, a really good point there that it does give you a ministry absolutely I mean, um you know in relation to my story a few months after that situation with my daughter like after she was declared to be uh better and all that kind of stuff um i just happened to go to this uh youth rally that was happening in the community 
and at the end they they called for pastors. They said, if you're here and you're a pastor, we want you to come down front and and uh, pray with anybody that comes down. And so I went down there and uh, I was sitting there waiting, and nobody came up to me. And this teenage boy with a face mask on came down and started talking to the person next to me. And they said, you know, how can I pray for you? And he said, uh, he said, well, I have a condition called ITP. Wow. And and I want to know Providence if somebody can pray God. for me. And I just butted in. I was, I was just like, hey, man, I don't want to take your attention. I said, but my daughter has ITP. Right. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, I would really love to pray with you. And I was able to pray with this teenage boy and uh, – and and really empathize with him and and like man I understand where you're at right uh, the Lord sees you yeah. you know He has a plan for you in this you know we're going to pray for healing in this situation and I don't know the boy I don't really know um, the funny thing was is, is uh, uh, a few months after that there was a homeschool group that was meeting in our church and this boy was there. Oh wow! And uh, introduced me to his mom and said, "Hey, I want to, you it's know, amazing. I want to meet you." But a lot of people will try to run from it, oh, and yeah. it's understandable mm-hmm. because it, it, they, it is they don't painful. know what to say. And then there are other people that they don't want to provide the comfort because they, I don't know what to say or whatever. Mm-hmm. If they just, you know, Job's friends were just wonderful friends when they were quiet when they started talking to where they where they fouled up. Yep. So, so yeah. I, I think God does teach us that kind of sensitivity, don't you think? Absolutely, because I mean, I again, I. Ne- you can try to understand it and you try to sympathize with people, but until you've walked in their shoes, and that's why I say it's, it's critical then for you to realize that it is a ministry for yes. you. That, and then it could be small trials, a big trial. I mean, little things that you've gone through, you've overcome certain things, you know, God's worked through. You, you can't avoid those things because I, again, just what we're talking about, people who haven't walked through those shoes, they try. But if you've walked through those shoes, man, it is a prime opportunity for you yeah. because you've been there, done that, and got the T-shirt, and I'd love to give it back. But it's mm. the, it's what God's dealt us. And so, um, and then so, yeah. you can count it all joy. Absolutely. Second Corinthians 1.4, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. There you go. So, Derek, there what, you com- go, what comfort did you receive? Tell me a story. Well, I'll tell you a couple stories, and I'll make them a little bit shorter. But um, first aspect of the suffering um, is that if you are not living the way that you should be and God allows a trial into your life, it can definitely get your attention Hmm. and and get you on the right path. Um, I think about what David said in um, Psalm 119. He said in verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. So as a young man, um, just out of college, I was struggling with what I should be doing, and I f- knew that God had a call on my life, and um, but I wasn't really 100% on board with giving my life to that and submitting well, I wouldn't say I was running away from it, but um, I was definitely struggling with going in 100%. So I'm driving to church one night. It's a spring evening, and there's a light rain. And uh, as I'm headed up the highway, I notice that uh, there's a Dodge truck heading my way, and it's drifting closer and closer toward the middle line. And I start eking over to the side, and I kept 
thinking as this truck is coming closer to me, uh, surely this guy's going to correct. <laughs> and I'm about halfway off the road, and he's almost completely over in my lane, and there was nowhere I could go. And um, so this Dodge truck hits me in the side, kind of grazes my side, busts all the glass in um, my driver's side window, and uh, he keeps going. He just heads up the highway. Meanwhile, I'm over on the side of the road, and my ears are ringing because of the impact, and um, I'm definitely shooken up, and there's glass all over me. Um, but amazingly, as I'm examining myself after this, uh, there isn't a scratch on me. And I was actually close enough to a fire department where I could get out and walk up to the fire department and call for the police and make sure I was okay. And Anyway, long story short, it, may, it turns out that the guy who was driving the truck was actually drunk. Mm, he surprise. just left a bar. He was feeling the spirits. And uh, he was yeah. on his way home. And he got home and noticed that there was uh, a big dent in the side of his truck, and he realized, oh, I might, I might have hit somebody. <laughs> so he got back in his truck to drive out and see and make sure that he hadn't killed anybody. And that was the report that I got from the highway wow. patrolman. But at that time in my life, uh, I needed that. Yep. I needed that as a wake-up call from the Lord to say to me, look, life is precious. Mm-hmm. You could be taken out at any moment, and you need to be living for me right now. You don't need to be wasting your life uh, chasing this girl or trying to do this career or do your own thing. I've called you, and you're mine, and I have a ministry and I have a purpose for you, and you need to be doing it. And so it was a, a shakeup for me. It was a, a come-to-Jesus moment. So that was a love tap from your father. Exactly. It was a... Uh, a thing that I needed in my life to get me on track. Now, granted, did I suffer? I wasn't. I had no broken bones. I had no scratches or nothing like that. But I had a brush with death that was very real, and it helped me to see that uh, I needed to be committed to what God was wanting me to do. This life will soon pass. Exactly. Amen. Second story, and I'll be short with this. But <clears throat> two days before Christmas in 2015. We found out that my mother was diagnosed with late stage breast cancer. She was borderline stage three and four, very, very advanced. The prognosis was not good. This was two days before Christmas. I can tell you that that was a very sober holiday. Um, now, my mom, one of the most godly women you could imagine. And of course, the questions that went through our mind is you know, why? Why our mom? Um, Lord, she served you, and she's humble, and why would you give this to her? Well, she started going through her treatment, and at that time in our church, uh, we really didn't have a diligent prayer ministry, but when we learned of my mom's diagnosis, there was a desperation in me hmm. and in my dad, who was also a part of the church, that we needed to be crying out to God like never before. Amen. And strangely enough, the the cancer that was allowed on my mom actually had a tremendous unifying effect for our church because it helped people to realize that 
whoa, we need to be collectively praying together for the suffering. And so out of that, we formed a regular prayer ministry that met every week and it started small, but there were weeks where it was packed and we had, you know, 20 some people, sometimes 30 people just meeting to pray. Of course, we were praying for my mom, but out of that, we were also praying for our church and praying for lost people and other needs in the life of our church. And uh, so my mom is going through this terrible chemotherapy and radiation. Uh, They took her right up to death's door. She lost all her hair, incredibly weak, suffers even to this day some side effects from that memory loss, fatigue, whatnot. But uh, a year and a half after all of that, we get the word back that she was 100% cancer-free. And, of course, we know the great physician played a, a great role in that and the power of prayer. But I tell you that story to say that um, out of that birthed a great desperation for God and a great prayer ministry. And that prayer ministry still continues to this day in Amen. our church. It started out of suffering, brought the church together, and we still continue to pray, and we have seen God answer so many different requests through that. And so the second thing that uh, suffering has brought in my life is not only the sympathy and the wake-up call, but just a, just creates a, a dire circumstance in your life where you have to rely only on God, and it creates a desperation. That, and that's uh, a good place to be. It's a great place to be. You don't want to volunteer to be there, but when you when you are there and you feel God's ministry and you feel God's peace and you see God's people transforming through that, there's nothing else in the world that can do it. Yes. Well, if you have a faux faith, when you get in the fire, it's going to be consumed hay, wood, and straw, and it's going up in smoke. If you have a genuine faith, then gold, silver, and precious stones, when they go into the fire of adversity, then the gold is refined. And I think that's what you've you've heard tonight. And I want to say in closing to each of you listening out there that every one of us is in one of three places. We are either in a storm or we just came out of one or we're getting ready to go into another one. But the storms of life are inevitable. And so what we've shared with you, we hope will encourage you. Encourage you, first of all, to examine your life because we should not discount the possibility that the suffering that we're going through may be because of of awful choices that we've made or we're uh, defying the will of God. And God's discipline and correction, uh, though painful, is done in love. And we need to respond to that. We also know that sometimes, just like in the case of Job, it's not because of some sin we've done. It's not uh, God's correction. Uh, It is being part of this fallen world. There are things going on behind the scenes, just like Job didn't know, we don't know. But what we do know is that there is a God who loves us, and he is God, and we are not. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we run to him, he can help us. And, and I want to say, my brothers and sisters, let God use those times of suffering to make you better and not bitter. God bless you, and we'll be praying for you. 
You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.